When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 401 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dean Hilton, and he is Domagoy Stainshuk. And unfortunately, Domagoy, as we were trying to get this one off the ground, not only did Barcelona have that draw 3-3 to Inter Milan, we're going to talk about what it means to Barcelona, but you've had a pretty rough 24 hours yourself, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, Barca played so poorly, gave me COVID again. So, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I do, I do actually, I am a bit under the weather, but I'll... I'll do my best to kind of push through it. <laughs> yeah, so Joe Maguire does have a bit more of an excuse than me. I think for me, I'm I'm just a bit frustrated and dejected. And, and you know, my headline started yesterday, with five headlines I always put on YouTube with again and again and again and again. Yeah, and there is something correlating about when Princess and I started this show all the, uh, a few years ago and Roma. Roma was that first shock to the system and then mm-hmm. Liverpool and then Bayern Munich and then Bayern Munich again and Benfica and... Now Inter Milan, well, Eintracht Frankfurt in the middle, and then Inter Milan, and it just continues on and on and on and on. So as far as where Barcelona is at this moment, I I think we should, I guess, talk about the game and the issues. And I I think what the likely thing that people are doing is assigning blame, and we have to kind of figure out where blame is assigned. And for me, I think I came out with full voice. I think there are a lot of times when I have defended or or tried to defend Busquets and Piquet and Alba when they deserved it. And I've defended Xavi when he's deserved it. But I think where you and I are probably going to land in the same place, that Xavi out is insane. That's an insane thing to say. This project is 
in its infancy and not even infancy, but let's say it's a toddler, right? Like an, it, it's a big summer, you know, it, it went to preschool that that's what Lewandowski and all that stuff felt. But this is still a, a young, young project that is not yet ready for champions league. It's not yet ready for prime time, but the unfortunate part of that is that Barcelona spent a lot, a lot of money over the summer to not make the champions league. But as people are talking, the number seems to be about 20 million euros that they're going to miss out mm-hmm. by not making the group stage. And yeah. depending on how far they go in Europa League, that could be up to, I think, 12 or 13. So you're truly talking about a loss of between 15 and 17 euros, which uh, 17 million euros, rather, which I want to remind people the salaries of PK and Alba and Busi and Frankie de Young are close to 120. So once again, the problem is going to be shedding salary more so than it is about this revenue that's going to be had because people still come keep coming to the stadium you're going to make up 25 to 30 million euros in in revenue you just have to hope that the fans don't leave yeah that's that's the big thing because winning generates excitement and excitement kind of generates revenue and money and all that stuff and and no one guarantees us that we'll actually do well in the europa league either i mean we've seen last season we were also hyped Mm -hmm. we thought we would win it we would do well and then what happens? We we just get get demolished in a way that no one really could have or, or wanted to wanted to even imagine. On Xavi, <laughs> I've come to realize that we have to be kind of extremely harsh on him and hold him accountable. Yes, not everyone might like what I'll say, but but he is a good manager who has a clear idea of, fo- of football, and this is a very good thing as as a foundational element of of him as a manager. He has very good understanding of the type of player the team needs. But it still remains, for me, it still remains to be seen whether he has this theoretical and coaching capacity to kind of to mold the players that he already has. So it's, it's quite odd to me that a midfield with Busquets and Pedri doesn't have enough power control. We shouldn't need Bernardo Silva for that. So Xavi has, at least initially, shown us he can deploy sensible structures with clear intentions, even though that doesn't always translate well on the pitch and that he knows how to recruit players that kind of fit that blueprint. I think in that sense, his greatness may be just in the overhaul of of the squad profiles and, and, and then Barcelona eventually <laughs> eventually getting someone who who knows how to how to get the best of that squad to to, to help it reach its, its full potential. Because one of the big worries as of right now for me uh, for Xavi is the underlying issues of last season, which are yet to be properly assessed, uh, you know, being overly vertical, for example, and having it this below standard defensive blocks, a team that gives you as much of the ball as they often do Barcelona, which is, you know, minimal, and yet you can subsequently still play through them with relative ease. This is a big issue. This is something that can make or break the whole project because every top, top team nowadays is kind of incredibly tough to play through. And not just because they press well, but because their blocks in whichever phase of the game are incredibly difficult and compact and, and you know, they're not easy to play through. So can Xavi actually coach De Jong, Pedri or Gavi or whoever to be better at this, to be more defensive, defensively aware? I mean, many of the defensive traits that you can, defensive, the definite traits that you can observe in a team always show right from the beginning. It's not usually the new problems that break a team. It's the old ones, that the well-known, well-known ones that we usually don't address. So consider almost any team with a lasting manager in the world, how early their present issues were well-known. This is the biggest worry I have with Xavi. Is he going to address the present issues? And how long should this even take? A couple of months with a brand new team? Maybe a season? 
two seasons? I don't know. And how long is he going to have to fix those issues? For now, to me, it seems that Chai would rather buy players that already have these traits, let's call them traits that he needs, drill into them, than kind of drill them himself. There's nothing wrong with that. And uh, people have done it before him. Coaches have done it before him. It's it's also why he wants Bernardo so much, for example. Yes, for the offensive potential. We know Bernardo, what Bernardo is like. But defensively, he's not big or particularly strong, but he goes through all the right motions and he knows his basics extremely well. Uh, we, we kind of suffer from having no natural defenders in the middle, apart from Busquets, for example. Well, people, so people who do the basics to a high and reliable level, it's one of the reasons we are so vulnerable. If this issue persists, which it has so far, it could communicate a failure of coaching. The coaching failure can then ultimately reflect at the highest level, which so far it has. Because defending is largely a structural and coaching thing. Of course, having a natural player like Araujo, for example, it helps. But it's also largely learned behavior, isn't it? No reason why De Jong shouldn't be able to improve in that regard. But why hasn't he so far? And this is a process, yes. But at the same time, how long should this process take? If it isn't fixed already this season, for example. Again, it might point out to Xavi either not training it enough or being unable to do it. So the thing is, it's difficult to tell which one, if either of those things is actually true, because we don't have the access to the behind the scenes stuff and we don't really know what's happening. And, and Xavi needs time. Yes, I would say so, but not as much as we fa as fans would love to believe because, the, you know, he's a Barca, the clock is ticking. So it's one of the, those consequences of being successful or rather being at a club that's kind of historically been so, su so successful. Sorry. <laughs> In response to Xavi, I think one, people have to understand, especially those saying Xavi out, that look at Graham Hunter at Chelsea, look at almost any manager at high-level clubs that have been replaced mid-season. They almost always play the same players that were playing before. Very rarely do you see a new manager come in and then new players are played. That's one. Part two of that as well is that PK was always going to start that match. Like I gave my, When I gave my starting 11, it was the only one that I saw an option for. It was the one that I think had to happen. And Frankie Young was not in that starting 11. But... Alejandro Bolde was starting for Marcos Alonso. I thought that was severely limiting. I, I think Marcos Alonso, I defended him last week or prior early in the week because I think Xavi shouldn't be selecting him in spots like he did. Getting around five at the back it, with a player that, uh, an outside back rider that cannot dribble around a back line. You could see just how penetrative Balde was. Like, I'm not saying that Balde is so much better of a player as than Marcos Alonso, but Balde much better fits with the players around him at this moment. And I understand the inexperience of defending, but there is nothing that Marcos Alonso does, even though he's taller, that he does defensively, that Baldi has not been able to do so far this season. At least, even if Alonso is just as good a player or better at this point in his career, Baldi is more in form at the moment. And that's why I certainly would have started him over Alonso. I thought that was Xavi's one misstep, if you will. You probably could have put Frankie Young in that game earlier. I think that was part of the, the calculation as well. Uh, same thing with, with Ansu at some point. But I, I think as far as what Xavi has to deal with, like the built-in excuses of Rajo, Kunde, those kind of things, like you have the personnel, you have the personnel that you have. But to your point, I, I think the space that I spoke about earlier in the week that I was scared of between an aging Busquets, even though Busquets has not gotten slower, it's just the Gerard Piquet behind him has lost a full step at, at this point. So Piquet is changing his thing. Like I, I did look back like 10 years ago 
PK and that high line of confrontation, he was the mobile one. Like the Puyol, to say that Puyol was mobile isn't necessarily true. Like Puyol looked a lot like Eric Garcia in his position and all those things, except he manages to get the block and Eric Garcia doesn't get the block, but they're very much the same size. I think Puyol is even like an inch or two shorter than, than Eric Garcia, who stands at, for our English listeners, uh, six feet tall. But for PK, because he's lost a step, he's now taking a step back. And that means that there is space in between he and Busquets that these La Liga teams are unable to exploit because the Liga teams are, they have to focus more on defending. But the minute you step up the competition level, the minute the wingers get faster, the minute the attacking midfielders get faster, and the minute the defensive midfielders and fullbacks on the opposition team have the ability to actually accurately play diagonal long balls, now you have a problem because those diagonal balls are slicing and dicing Barcelona to great effect when the competition level gets higher. And I think as far as what we want to talk about with the Inter Milan, like there are good things. There's Ter Stegen, there's Pedri. I mean, I thought Gabi's effort, like look at the blocks that Gabi had yesterday against Inter Milan, like just phenomenal. So I think we land in the same spot as well, where there is something that has to fundamentally change. I think he really perfectly laid out that Xavi as a manager himself does need to improve and he needs to make these players better than they are. I think there are players that have improved under him. Again, I do look at Eric Garcia as much as he made that mistake yesterday with the other, other than that one moment when Lataro Martinez, a very, very, very good striker undressed him. Eric Garcia has been much better this season than he was even a year ago. He has improved greatly under Xavi. I could argue that Pedri has improved under Gabi. You could argue that a number of players have improved a Dembele. Like this is the best version of Dembele we've ever seen. I know people were frustrated with, some of what he did yesterday, but he was also really good at other times. And then Rafinha, it, se- it seems stupid, but you felt like Sh- like Xavi, not only were they unlucky on the road with those calls not going their way, but you felt like Barcelona also gave away points against Inter in Italy because he started Rafinha on the left and Dembele on the right. Like that was wrong. That was just unequivocally wrong. And one of the things that I will look to this season is saying, yeah, Xavi, they got unlucky on the road. They- the handball didn't go their way. They should have got a draw from that game, but like you, you made the wrong choice by starting with Fina on the left. Like that, you had to, you had to fix that. You had to not do that, and that's what happened. So yeah, I mean, as far as moving forward for Xavi, I, I think you really laid it out well. You know, I, I think I want to move on almost to El Clasico more quickly than anything else because I, I think for what Barcelona has to do in the Champions League, I mean, they have to beat Bayern Munich and Victoria Pilsen. But because Inter Milan play earlier, I mean, or two weeks from now, there is nothing Barca can do. They're going to watch. I mean, they're not going to do this, but they could watch in pregame their Champions League hopes slip away because Victoria Pilsen needs to get a result against Inter Milan in Italy. I just, I can't see that happening with Victoria Pilsen, what they've done so far in the Champions League. So it's tough. It's a, de- it's a group of death. There's a lot of excuses for Barcelona, but they didn't help themselves. And now they're heading down to the Europa League. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough, and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background, 
that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention, those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content, everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, that's very true. This is always, when, when you get into, into a position like this, it's just when you have to depend on others and have to depend on, on beating someone that you don't really believe you can beat. The thing is with Barcelona, they, I think they're fully capable of beating Bayern. We've showed it in, in our first game, but they're also capable of just <laughs> collapsing completely in that game. So it, it really depends which which Barca we see. And I guess Inter Milan, I also, I, I want to say that I've seen all sorts of takes saying that we made zero to, to, to no changes compared to the first game. And I don't think that's necessarily true. The, the Xavi did tinker a little bit. He did make tweaks that, that help us be more effective. Yes, Inter were also kind of more deadly on the counter. But I think we've, we've, we've done decently well, all things considered. I mean, yes, look at, look at the game. It's 3-3. It's not a good result for us. That's all true. And there's a lot of factors going into it. But I feel like... There's a lot of negative emotions pouring out. People are reacting to, to what's happened. And, and, and understandably, we're all, we're all very angry and we were disappointed. But, but there are some things that Xavi couldn't control that, that also needs to be said. But I feel like the change that he made for the Inter game specifically, the diamond, the diamond midfield served the purpose of unsettling the Inter's in 5-3 block, 5-3-2 block. And it did so quite well for, for some parts of the game. Last week, the setup was also decent, but the personnel, as you said, with, with Arfinha, for example, seemed off, and the pure execution was also very lacking. Uh, 
Xavi reacted by, by by adding Sergio Roberto in that fourth midfielder role, and this time he would attack the half space through the half space as a half space penetrator type of role, and this would in turn help enable the wide isolations that Barcelona so crave. And so I feel like in terms it of did. Xavi, and it did. like yeah. when I mean you could tell the Sergio Roberto even pushed up farther around the was it the twenty fifth minute or so you mm. saw when I think Gabi committed a tackle. And yeah. then Xavi got an opportunity to talk to Alonso and Roberto, and mm. he he changed the positioning a bit. Alonso tucked in a bit more, and Roberto pushed a bit farther forward. And once that happened, 15 minutes after that, the, the first goal happened. And you can mm. see that Inter Milan is pretty unbalanced after that. And I think that's the other thing about Xavi getting outmanaged by Inzaghi, because once that change happened, Barcelona were very much on the front foot, and they should have had a second goal before Inter got two. And instead mm. of getting that second goal, they come out in halftime, Inter Milan makes a change, and Inter Milan gets a goal. I mean, and the goal happens, the goal should have happened. Like, when we talk about that first goal, that's when it all goes wrong. PK, yeah. for, I mean, just an awful, awful, <laughs> awful, awful PK. One of the worst defensive mistakes he has seen in his entire career. I mean, that's how bad that was. And, I mean, maybe the BM, maybe the worst of his career, looking back. And hmm. so for, for, for Xavi's plan, PK's error kind of has it go sideways, but he also didn't adapt to it after the fact. Yeah. Right, like Barcelona, and and that's kind of where I I'm kind of confused at what to make of this kind of match here and how that will affect Barcelona in the Liga because there is something physical, there's something about the personnel that you're saying, and there is something about tactics that need to improve. That's true, but I think it, it, to me, I get the sense that that will all improve along the margins this season. Like for, uh, like Xavi can improve this team, and I, I've said it too that this team when Kunde and Araujo get back and after the world cup and some players have been rested and uh, yeah. you know, you see players kind of find different form throughout the year. There is a, a, there's a world in the spring where Barcelona is the best team in the Europa league there. Yeah. They are the best team in the Liga. Like there, there is, it's possible that that happens with few things going their way, but there was something about Europe. There's something about like the intangibles that we just can't speak about, about yeah. mentality, about, you know, that's why I said that the problems persist when Xavi is the coach just like they did when Kuman and Set and Kike Setien and basically anybody but Luis Enrique. Mm -hmm. uh, but even before Luis Enrique, it seemed like the ball was starting to roll in this direction. And now yeah. we're at half a decade or or more than half a decade. And and Barcelona seems to have the same problem between the ears, more so than it is about the tactics. And and again, even the personnel, the personnel has changed. The president has changed. It's all changed. But Barcelona is the same. And it's not just because PK and Alba and Busquets haven't changed, because Alba didn't even play in the match. Right. Like Abel was just sitting on the sideline and it's not even about Roberto. Roberto was just fine in that match. Right. He mm -hmm. fundamentally made sense the, in the role that he played in. And, and it, I mean, even looking at a new guy like Lewandowski, I don't want to put the savior card on him. He scores two goals in the game. He got free when like when he needed to. Barcelona scored three goals. Like they should have won that game three one, but they didn't. It was three three. They drew the game. And yeah, and so Lewandowski was good enough. But him and Dembele and Rafinha, like there are times when the crossing just isn't good enough. Like in in Italy, it was fifty crosses. It wasn't as many yesterday, but the it just it wasn't good enough. Like they weren't finding each other's heads, and there were so many attacking moves that broke down. And it seems like other teams are able to exploit. But the minute they get into Europe, now those crosses are ten to fifteen yards away, or they're overshot every time. And mm -hmm. it's confusing to me because it feels like yes, things need to be tweaked on the field and personnel. And another summer of free transfer is going to be helpful in two or three positions. But fundamentally, in Europe, like. I just, I don't know how you exercise those demons. Like, I don't know. I mean, other than the answer might be truly in the locker room, having no longer having Jared Piquet sitting there at halftime, no longer having Sergio Busquets sit there at halftime. I don't know what that is, right? Like, and I don't know, it's not about blaming them. It's saying that they're that end of an era, that chapter, mm -hmm. that thing that Piquet says, oh, I'll step aside. He said that two years ago. 
and he's still the fifth choice center back. So I, I don't know, other than having those veterans finally walk out that door and the club find a way to walk them out that door, not by their own choice, <laughs> until the club finally do that. I don't know how Europe changes because I don't know who else to blame. Uh, it does come. I mean, we have to remember that this Champions League run, yes, it's been filled with 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 questionable performances, and we have not looked at our best throughout this these the, the first games. But it's also true that things that have happened, like events and, and unique situations that are almost impossible to predict, whether that's injuries or referee decisions or or individual mistakes from from the veterans that they shouldn't be making those uh, those mistakes. Yes, but I feel like it's very difficult to, to to judge our whole campaign based on everything that's happened. And for Inter specifically, I feel a lot of it indeed does come down to injuries. But the other issue is you have to adapt to the players you can have. And this needs to reflect in the lineup selection, which which also was a problem. There's no getting away from, it, from that. It was a problem for Xavi. Without Araujo and Kunde behind Busquets, there is zero athleticism in that back, back line for a team and for a team that presses high and needs to face the likes of Lautaro and Jekko on the break this is this is far from good and that problem is then also multiplied by by times a hundred um if you're not compact or properly staggered in other zones of the pitch which is which is why you you also touched upon the spaces that we have to cover reducing the spaces between your players might seem counterintuitive when you're facing a narrow and compact block but the interaction between Xavi's 316, I would think it was most of the time. And then Zaghi's 532 was kind of heavily skewed in Inter's favor, I feel, on paper alone, at least. Yeah. If you're going to play a 316 in possession, you must prioritize where you're looking to attack and what you're doing specifically, more so than just filling the zones on the football pitch. Pitch. To me, it seemed like Xavi looked at Inter's 532 and then decided to create a six-lane attacking structure that's too static and lacks fluidity to break down a five at the back block. When a team plays a 3-1-6, they often fall prey to having just 3-1 build-up shape be compact in the first phase. You have to have a narrowness and have to have a narrowness that allows for combination play and better safety nets for players when they lose the ball. Dembele, when he's doubled down the flank, which happens every, almost every single game that we struggle in, he's too far from a player to just pass the ball back on re and retain possession even combine with that player because the spaces are too wide and it's just about for Xavi it's just about pitting the defenders back which is not good enough that's why I'm saying we're too static Xavi has this idea of wide wingers always pitting the back line and providing width okay that's absolutely fine but if you don't offer them support in a staggered structure your isolation will only ever achieve exactly that. It will isolate your wingers from the, the rest of the team. And that includes both your players and you know, and the opposition player. This system, the 3-1-6, on paper should encourage playing, play through the lines, not make it not impossible to do so, which Barca have done, actually. And we could actually get away with that back then when we had Leo Messi in the team. We had the same issues, but you have Messi who can actually find the passing angles, he can find, find the lanes that are usually inaccessible. Now, however, you just can't retain possession down the middle effectively if you don't have a proper structure. Otherwise, you know, a 3-1-6 encourages what you said, just directly spamming long balls to the last line against a 5-3-2. Even if you have dropping options from the last line, they're almost inaccessible because of the three versus one security that position has in the middle. So you literally need to slap the ball long and hope something happens in, in the six versus five that you have before one of the opposition midfielders kind of just drops deep, deeper for, to, to have the numerical parity. It's kind of 
suboptimal and and there are a couple of ways that i would actually combat that but it's it's going to be a long run so i'm I'm just gonna stop right here for a bit (laughs) yeah so let's transition to real madrid again i I, i'm really glad that Domingo, that not only did I bring you on today, because I think usually my brain is looking at the tactics and caring about that. But again, I think I'm a bit tired. I'm a bit frustrated, as people know. Like when you do the podcast and you watch every game, mm-hmm. and you, you're caring about all this stuff week in and week out. I, I think there is some Champions League and European fatigue for me. I think mm-hmm. like I, as I'm scrolling, like I'm, I'm watching people and the belief give up before the match was over. Like mm-hmm. so by the 68th minute after Inter had scored, like I'm almost convincing myself that I mean, they don't, the team doesn't have the fight. They don't have the yeah. belief that, that's required in this game. And yet they finish at 3-3, sure, but they go down 3-2 even. So yeah. I think there was, that. those are the parts of it that are deflating to me. And part of what makes El Clasico so interesting is that last season when Barcelona smacked around Real Madrid for nothing, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Ronda Rojo yeah. was huge in that game. It must be said. I mean, he is, I think, even more than Koundé actually at this moment, the biggest loss from that game. Courtois might be back in time. Kunde mm. likely won't, but could be back in time yeah. as of recording. We don't, he has not completely been ruled out, but again, it's very unlikely. And and worrisome enough is that Madrid, from all the way you just spoke about, Madrid, when they've been playing well this season, they basically look like Inter Milan on steroids. Like they what they do well is exactly what Barcelona is being or does not have the personnel at the moment to deal with. And so even another little factor here, Real Madrid against uh, the 1-1 against Shakhtar Tanes, they, they qualified for the next round. They just had to go through the motions. And so they rested a ton of players. So a lot of players got rest. And this year, they are much more than some of their parts up top without, without, ben, not without Benzema, but without Benzema being Benzema. And so far, Real Madrid have just figured out ways. I mean, Rodrigo has been really good, unfortunately. I always thought there was something in there. And yeah. I think he's coming to fruition. Chuamani and Kamavinga are looking more and more comfortable by the week. Unfortunately, Luka Modric is in good form. And as far as veterans going out, like Real Madrid, fortunate for Barca or not, like Barcelona have to move on from the veterans for XYZ reasons. And Real Madrid, I think with Modric, they don't have to move on with him because he's still doing everything that's being asked of him. And he's not asked to do much defensively. That's why they brought in young athletic players where that's kind of where the game is going. They brought in guys who can shut down those spaces that you and I are talking about. The Barcelona, unfortunately, had to leave open because they do have just Busquets. And then you have PK behind him. And there's only so much you can do if you don't have Araujo or Kunde and just superior athletes shutting down those spaces. So, yeah, I mean, Madrid are also going to be at home at the Santiago Bernabeu. So all signs point to Real Madrid winning this game. Yes. For a lot of different reasons. I mean, not to, I'm not like trying to sum that up or sugarcoat it. That said, again, Barcelona last year, they were, they lost five straight. They'd lost the most since what was the 40s last year when they, when they finally conquered Real Madrid for nothing. So as we saw against Milan, there is the, the basics are in place for Barcelona to do well against Real Madrid. Like there is a way that they cut up and they carve up and Barcelona, Real Madrid rather, on their wings, especially their fullbacks are their weakness. So there is this world where Rafinha and Dembele, they eat. And there's a world where Lewandowski in the middle gets hot and figures something out. Like there's a world where Barcelona win that game 2-0 at the Santiago Bernabeu because they do have the tools to do that. But it's again, defensively, where all the concerns are. And we might find another shootout with Real Madrid. But I think more importantly, Domagoy, going off the mentality and the grit and stuff, all I want to see from Barcelona, because again, the Liga will not be decided by this one result. Because Barcelona currently, even on points, without Koundé, without Araujo, and those players are going to get healthy. As I say, this is going to come down to getting a one nothing win against Mallorca as much as it is against getting a real in El Clasico. 
Yes, it matters because points against your direct rivals matter more than anything else. Yes. But what a, a, a negative result to Real Madrid will not deter Barcelona's entire season. Like they can get healthy in a way that Real Madrid won't, and they can be better in the spring. But what I want to see from Barcelona, why I hope there's a positive result, even though there doesn't look to be like, you know what I mean? As in, I'm not going to be completely disjointed if they don't get a result. But again, I want to see some fight. Yeah, I, what, I don't, what I don't want to see is them kind of accept the reality of what they are and allow Real Madrid to do a bit of what mm. they want to do. Like there clearly was hunger. There was fight. There was desire yes. from Barcelona in that game. I want to say like in that first half, especially they had the necessary intensity. But mm. That intensity wasn't enough in the second half. They yeah. dropped off. It happened. So for 90 minutes against your greatest rival, like you have to show me something. That's what I want to see from Barcelona. Yeah, that's true. I think both teams are kind of in significantly different different stages compared to last season when we demolished them. Back then, I was actually I was pretty confident that we would we were the better team, and and that ended up being true. Well, not on the on, in the long run because they won the lead on us, but I'm not so sure I can confidently say we'll repeat the result or even just the outcome. As you've said, I I, I think Real Madrid have the upper hand going into this game, and that's even even considering that. We don't really mind, don't mind I, as much as I can say it, playing at the Santiago Bernabeu. But Real Madrid also, yes, you mentioned it. They fly high with Benzema and Courtois on top form, which they aren't, and Courtois might not even be available from the latest reports I've seen. So this is a huge factor. However, we also have to address that mentality thing that you said because they also have this, Real Madrid have this incredible knack of just forcing play and getting goals and getting wins even when they they honestly just play like crap uh, excuse my french it, so i think to barca have been doing similar things in la liga uh, where they 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 haven't really been been that the be- that the best sorry but still getting the victories but can they do it against a top rival like madrid it, it remains to be seen the thing is it will be all about controlling space because ancelotti does not really care that much well too much about uh ball retention as such and he wants to be as direct as, as possible at every chance possible so they will move the ball with the, the front six the forward line and the midfield line the fullbacks they, they don't really provide width or they don't really constantly overlap they're not really much of an offensive threat anymore compared to the the, the era when, when Zidane was at the helm of the team they do stay deep to provide that technical security and in in the phase two where you know uh, the wingers like Vinicius, Rodrigo, Valverde, they stay high and then they have protection behind them. And I feel like this is what Ancelotti will go for. He will he will try and make it, he will try and stop a, a wide threat, which is which is where we, which is our greatest weapons at the moment. And it's, it's difficult because I think Madrid are still very fluid and stable and overall they have improved on the last season's iteration due to just some players arriving, as you said, like Schoemeni, or just some other players like Valverde, for example, improving greatly, uh, and Rodrigo uh, as well, kind of shining in this new role that he's been given. Of course, Vinicius is the obvious, obvious danger man, and he typically acts as this touchline winger. So I, I'm I'm really interested to, interested to see how we plan to stop that, because this is a direct Real Madrid team, and we are a team that if you bypass our press, there's there's just a, too much space to exploit, and Madrid will have the personnel that will have the means to to really really exploit it, and this is where they can hurt us. So now more even it, the same as as the game with Inter Milan, this is how we have to control the space. We have to ensure that that we are more compact, and we have to ensure that we are not so easy to play through. Because if we are, 
as leaky as if, as we've been against Inter Milan, for example. If if those mistakes keep piling up, I just don't see a world in which we score more goals than we can see against Real Madrid. Yeah, so I think I'm going to continue to look at that preview, see if I can find some holes. I still have some tape of them to watch, but I did try to see some matches, and just like Barcelona, you know, you watch that Mallorca match and you go, ah, Barcelona, they're, they're getting results, but they're not playing well. And that, again, is the Real Madrid playbook. Uh, playbook. Yeah. I watched them against Adafe. They were not good, and yet they got a result, and that's how it goes. But speaking of results, Domagore, <laughs> you had a major result, and this is where we end the show on a very high note, on a positive note. Your book, and when we last spoke, you were... It was about to be, uh, well, we announced it, but it was about to be uh, out and about to be available. But now we are going to have the link down in the show notes below. Anatomy of a Genius, Leo Messi's Tactical Evolution at FC Barcelona is out. It's available. You can buy it. My copy is, unfortunately for those in the U.S., it's going to take a little longer to get to you. I can, t- I can, I can speak from that firsthand. That it's, it, it does take a little bit. But Domagoy, your book is available. Uh, not only congratulations, uh, I'm excited to, to read through it. And it has gotten positive views so far. People, people are seeing to be eating it up. But yeah, I mean, we asked you before about you know, what, what took to reading it. But as far as getting a book done, I mean, what, did it, what was the process like? Uh, not only how long, but I mean, as this idea was kind of coming together, and then you kind of sitting down and, and doing, yeah. doing the grunt work and putting it in and getting interviews and talking to people and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So yeah, what was that process like? I think, and people ask me often, how long did it take? It's, it's I think, the most difficult and, and the, the longest period was actually doing the interviews and doing the research. Uh, once I got all of that out of the way, once I got my quotes, once I got, got my, my material, my, my images and all that stuff, the write-up was actually pretty, well, I don't want to say easy, but that was the easier part at least, uh, just to mm-hmm. get the people on board, just contact some of the higher profile people in the industry and just get them to answer me first and then accept to talk to me about this random book I'm writing because I'm still a nobody in the industry. So it's very difficult to kind of get a hold of some of those people. But getting, I, it's, it's a bit of a, a sneak peek, but I did get a La Masia coach to, to actually speak to me about Leo Messi. He hasn't coached Messi directly. I have, have to emphasize that and I did in my book as well, but he... He knows how La Masia works and he knows how uh, they develop players uh, in the academy. And that is one of the one of the highlights of the book as well. And there are some some pretty big names in there, too, uh, that I feel have really given me a lot of juicy material. I don't think this is any particularly groundbreaking stuff. It's 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 more of a a combination of being tactical as much as I can, but also making it accessible to the to the casual fan as well. If you're interested in Leo Messi and just his journey at Barcelona, it, it's I think it's a nice blend of of being detailed, but at the same time making it approachable, making it easy easier to digest for the for the for the casual fans. So I, hopefully, uh, it's it's a mix of you know the best of both worlds. We'll see what. I'm I'm eager to see what the more tactical minds have to say about it, but at the same time, if I was I was more focused on having the the style and 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 the structure be well more easily digestible. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we do know that that there's a lot has been written about Messi, and I think sometimes I think there is this desire that people have when writing about him to personify him mm-hmm. to figure out like who he is, yeah. as opposed to you who kind of took the approach of what he does <laughs> or what he did, right? And the and the choices that were made for him and about him on the field. Uh, which I, I think is, I mean, a direction and a, and a place to go that um, I'm excited to see 
Thank you. The myopic view of, of the tactics involved. So yeah, that will that link for your book again, Anatomy of a Genius, Leo Messi's Tactical Evolution, FC Barcelona is going to be down in the show notes. So order your copy and yeah, and give it a read. So uh, Don McGoy, thanks so much for coming on the show. Welcome. Thanks for handling the Inter Milan and the El Clasico <laughs> preview with me. Uh, yeah, and congratulations again, uh, again on your book. Thank you so much, Ed. All right. So also give him a follow on Twitter and Instagram down in the show notes. We are on Twitter and Instagram at the Barcelona pod at helping D13 for me. Close Facebook group, the Barcelona podcast, answer the questions. I'll let you in. Unfortunately, things are a bit sour there in the moment, but people have been behaving. So I actually do want to thank the Facebook group. Sometimes they pop off, but yes, there's some, there's some arguing, but obviously when there are hurt feelings that happens everywhere, but uh, the <laughs> Facebook group has not been as much of a cesspool as Twitter. So that is the compliment <laughs> that I could share. Uh, and then Patreon, there's no cesspool over there. Patreon is how we, uh, continue to do these shows. I really appreciate that. And then on YouTube as well, where I have my five headlines, I'll have an El Clasico preview likely coming out tomorrow or Saturday. And then we have, again, plenty of content as well throughout the, the, the World Cup period and all that stuff. So give it a subscribe and a follow over there. But most importantly, thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And after a result like Inter Milan and with everything happening in the Champions League, most importantly, of course, the Barca. Bye.